The JTAP Podcast, Episode 26. Send it. I can do that. JTAX. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. Welcome to the JTAP Podcast, Episode 26. Um, a friend of mine, um, known about him for a long time, and had the opportunity to move up, moved up with him in the early part of this year. Uh, over in Salt Lake, he was uh, over there back at his headquarters. Uh, Jared, appreciate you coming on, mate. Appreciate you taking the time. Hey, man, 26 episodes. You're cruising. <laughs> I, 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 congratulations. And you know what? As we kick this off, let me go ahead and show you, show you a little something, you know, as my, as my appreciation for you. What, look what's in my wallet still. Oh. Oh, my, uh, my tempo. Tempo JTAC coin that I got from you when we met. Dude, um, I like to tell everybody because obviously um, of the way the podcasts work, but everyone's opinion here is their own and not that of any organization. Get my little caveats out of the way. I know obviously a lot of people will know you. Um, you know, if there's a celebrity in the JTAC community, maybe maybe you're that one. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's not for being a JTAC though. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> there's a lot of guys out there that have done some amazing things that, you know, their name, their name got out there because of, of what they did being a JTAC, you know, sadly, <laughs> the things that, the things that made my name known was, was not for being a JTAC. <laughs> Roger that. But I think, I think what's, uh, would be much more fun would be to hear the same stories we hear about, like, everybody else what like where do you come from where do you grow up what does the family look like what school look like for you you know before someone makes that fatal trick and gets you to sign the dotted line to join up heck yeah man um so i uh i was from northern california it's right a place right north of san francisco called uh nevada my dad was was in the navy he was on a submarine there called the parchy and uh, we lived, we lived in Novato till I was about 10. And that's when Clinton closed the, he, he like bracked a bunch of bases around, around the country. And so what it did is it, it transferred the sub from Mare Island, California up to sub base Bangor, Washington. Uh, so, and the reason why I say that is cause you know, I grew up in California until I was about 10 and then I had to move, but when I had to move, I moved with my entire neighborhood. So it wasn't like you moved because the entire sub, everybody that my dad hung out with and my parent and my mom was friends with, everybody moved with us. So it was like we just picked up and woke up in a new place one morning and it wasn't really like we moved because we're still hanging out with the same people. You're not necessarily making friends again. It's kind of weird in elementary because now you've got like this pocket of 10, 15, 20 kids in the same grade that now just showed up out of nowhere and they all know each other and they've all known each other forever. So it was, it was fairly interesting uh, in that aspect because it was moving, but not necessarily like moving, you know, when you think about it, if you're a kid and, and you had to pick up and go to a new school and make new friends and things like that. So 
as I was growing up, I was a, my dad was a skateboarder and a surfer when he was a teenager. So he really pushed that on myself and my brother and my sister. So we were snowboarding, we were, we were skateboarding and that is what really got me into the, the film world was being a skateboarder as a, as a young teenager. And, and that was kind of when, you know, the home camcorder became kind of, uh, there was a big jump, you know, you went from this giant VHS camcorder that you carried on your shoulder to now you had these little tiny home video cameras that were easily accessible. So that when I was 13, 14 years old, that's what I asked my parents for, for, for my birthday or Christmas or whatever. It was like, Hey, I really want a camera. And that's when I kind of dove into the, I want to film things and edit them world was, uh, was when I was 14. And it was all to make a skate video. It was like, you know, the, the goal of a skateboarder is to film all the tricks that you can do and then take it to a skate shop and try to get sponsored so you can get free skateboards and, and, and everything like that. So it was like, that's what really kind of kicked it off. And right around the year, like 99, is, 99 2000 is when Apple re-released the, the first iMac or the Macintosh back then, like, and it was that big, bubbly, you know, colorful thing that's, um, that was in the, um, the Ben Stiller movie where they're hitting it and they're like, the files are in the computer. <laughs> and iMovie had come out um, with it, that came with that first Macintosh. And so in high school, you know, we had a, a digital media production class or media production class. And that's when I really, you know, kicked off my first editing experience was, was in uh, ninth grade, 10th grade, taking these media production classes and then using that class to work on a skate video because your homework and your work in that class was to make a video. Well, I had tons of tapes to make all the skate videos that I wanted. And that's, that's all we worked on for a while. I, um, I had always, I, I had always a fascination with the military. I loved it. I wanted, I knew I wanted to go in since I was a child, you know, young, young. I, I had a fascination with fighter jets. Uh, I definitely wanted to be a pilot, just like everybody. Uh, Top Gun was like the coolest movie ever as a kid. And um, as September 11th happened, I remember I was in 10th grade and you know, coming into school, we were on the West Coast. So by the time we got to school, like, uh, I believe I remember, like, I had gotten to my first class, which was media production. It was it was that that media place and everybody was gathered around the TV. And it was about five minutes after I'd showed up to class shown up to class is when the second plane hit the towers. And they let school out. I was living on on subbase banger at the time. So remember my, my mom picking us up and then we sat in a, in a dead stop traffic jam till almost like six o'clock, seven o'clock at night because the bases were locked down and then they went into a full every vehicle searched type, type level of security, you know, force protection, alpha or, you know, red or whatever the fuck it is. I don't remember anymore. So I had one more year of, of high school pretty much. And by the time I turned 17 or uh, yeah, by the time I turned 17, my parents 
my dad had gotten orders to Italy and he had asked, he was like, Hey, um, you could come with us, but your options are pretty much online school and, and you can't really work because the, the Italian government wouldn't allow, uh, Americans that were over there. If, if you couldn't work outside a base pretty much. So I was like, okay, you want me to, to go to, or my options are to go to Italy and like do fuck all like now I'll go in the military. And so my dad, my dad took me in. He said, I'm, I want, I think you should, I really think you should go air force. They treat their people better. They, you know, you have, you have better amenities, you have better bases, you have better deployments and everything like that. And at that time, you know, he had been in the Navy for almost 22 years. So he had a good gauge of, of, of kind of what the other services were like. And so I, I was for it. I was like, yeah, let's go in the air force. And I had signed a contract for uh, munition systems apprentice 2W0X1. I wasn't happy about it because I was playing army my whole life. I was, I wanted to, to be a soldier. I wanted to fight. I wanted to get in the, you know, I wanted to go to war to get in the shit, but I was like, you know, at the time it's just like, Hey, I got to get out of here. So it was, what was the fastest, uh, ticket out. And, you know, as I think about it now, I remember, you know, there wasn't a lot of literature or education on any of the air forces cool jobs. So to me as a teenager, I thought the air force's coolest job was a cop and they didn't have any cop spots because as soon as, as soon as nine 11 happened, everybody went in and they wanted to be a, a security forces guy in the air force. So, and you know, I was looking into dog handling and stuff like that. Like, Oh, that would be cool. So I shipped off to basic and super unhappy with, with my job choice. But at the end of the day, it kind of matched me. I was 110 pounds. I, I wasn't playing sports. I was skating. I was lanky. I was wee. Like, I wasn't athletic at all. Um, so it was like, okay, well, at the time, I, I had a high school girlfriend that lived in Washington State. So we had, we had gotten a briefing while I was in basic about being a SEER instructor. And kind of one of the leading reasons why I, I, I explored being a SEER instructor was because your entire schooling is in like Washington state. And I'm like, look, I can go back to be with my girlfriend. You know, the things that you're thinking about when you're 17 years old, that's like, this is the one girl for the rest of my life. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to choose my whole career around it. Yeah. Let me, let me change everything because the girl I'm dating when I'm 16 and 17 years old lives in Kitsap County, uh, like you do. So I, I go into the, the seer thing and the briefing was just kind of cheesy. Like I didn't get it. Like it, they weren't very good at explaining it to me. So it was, it was just kind of, I was like, okay, what, wait, what is this? Like we're, we're instructors, we're deployed, we're not deployed, but we don't fight. We don't do that. We teach pilots. Like, I don't understand this. And the guy was like being super like cryptic and, and, and almost like pompous. Like if you can do one push up, my, my push up, then, then, then you'll make it as a seer. And like, he's like holding this kid in the front lean arrest for like 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, I don't get this. Like, 
I'm confused. I'm long. Uh, let's go. So, and that was one of the things that they said is if at any moment in the steer brief, you don't like this, you can get up and leave. So I was tagging my friends around along with me. I'm like, let's go. This is, this sounds gay. Uh, so we get up, we're looking for our basic training flight because this was upstairs somewhere. Uh, uh, a drill instructor tells us where our team is and we walk in and they're all hanging out in a classroom and we like, uh, what are you waiting? They said, we're getting some briefing. I was like, okay. So we sit down and then this gigantic linebacker of a human, which to me, again, at the time I'm 110 pounds. I don't know what he looks like in real life, but I just, this is my memory of him. It's just this massive dude named Sergeant Hayes comes in and he's, you know, he's got BDUs and he's got the, the rippled sole Ultima jungle boots and he's got special forces patches on both on, he's got the arrowheads on both his shoulders and he's got all these schools on his, on his, uh, you know, these badges on his chest and he, he's just walking in, you know, like he just got done smoking a cigar pretty much. And I'm going to date myself a little bit here, you know, because recently on Instagram, I was called a boomer. He, he grabs a piece of chalk and goes to the chalkboard. <laughs> and, he, and he looks at everybody and he's like, who here likes money? That was his opening statement. And like, everybody's kind of looking around like, ah, I guess I like money. Uh, yeah. And he writes, he writes like this, this $225 on the board. And he's like, who here likes to, to skydive or jump out of, who here thinks jumping out of airplanes is cool? And like a couple guys are like, yeah, yeah, I guess I think that's cool. Writes another number with a dollar sign on the board. He's like, who here likes, ex likes explosives? Writes another figure. He keeps going, who here likes diving? You know, now looking back on it, it's like he really sold us on something that maybe like 10 TACPs got to do in their career, go to dive school and get demo pay. Um, but I mean, I was pretty sold after that. He adds it all up, adds another one in front of it. You know, I didn't catch that. He's like, that's how much extra I get paid for my job. Let me tell you what that job is. And he goes into this, like, he's like, let me paint this picture for you. He's like, I'm on a, I'm on a hilltop looking at an Iranian airbase and I see uh, SA-6 with three missiles ready to shoot one of our friendly aircraft out of the skies and I know that SA-6 needs to be destroyed. So I take my laser and I put that laser right on one of them guards smoking a cigarette next to the SA-6 and, and that's when I call the A-10s and they fire a Maverick that goes right into the face of this guy. You know, he's, he's doing this deep voice and like, I'm like wide eyed, like I have to do this. Like, and then, he, and then he's like, and oh, by the way, behind me is a bunch of us army Rangers guys ready to take that airfield. And like, like, and he's just like, he's, he's essentially like, like, like just painting this amazing picture and I am like cooking off. Like I am, I am a, a handful of nine mil in a, in a campfire right now. This, this is it. I can get out of this stupid job that I got into. This sounds amazing. Pick me. I'm in. So he asked for volunteers. I volunteer and, uh, 
go to the tryout and everything. And I, I've gotten into this on uh, like Team Never Quits podcast where, you know, I've, I swindled my way into wanting to know if I got the slot uh, to tech P school and I ended up getting it. So I graduate basic training. Granted, the week I graduate basic, this is now March of 2003, I'm on the parade field the week before we graduate on a detail to clean up the parade field for our graduation. And as we're cleaning up, some of the drill instructors come running outside. They're like, everybody, everybody on the detail, get in here, get in here. And they pull us into this little like trailer shed or some shit like that. And there's a TV on and they, and, and it's the bombing of, of Baghdad, like the cruise missiles and Baghdad on fire. It's the tomahawks hitting the bathhouse, like, like, uh, and everything. And I remember the TIs were in like utter fear. Like they were, they were like, they were talking amongst themselves, like, holy shit, man, two wars. We have two wars. Like, we're gonna have to go, man. And I'm sitting there like grinning, like, two wars. <laughs> <laughs> so we graduate basic training that week. Um and fly out to, to Herbert field, Florida. And that, that, you know, it was such a, such a crazy like culture shock thinking about it back then, because, you know, the schoolhouse was on Herbert field. We were this tiny little debt that was, that was, uh, two floors worth of, uh, dorm room or, you know, barracks rooms that, that, that the teams were in. And when you showed up, you were the baby flight. You had the father flight was about to graduate, and then you had the two flights that were on team, you know, at the time, and it was Eagle, Falcon, and Hawk. And I show up, and I'm, I'm an Eagle baby, and that's what everybody is calling, calling you, you know, so you're like, you're getting used to this whole new, like, forms of acronyms and nicknames and things like that. So, like, I remember, you know, you've got that, I've got that green duffel bag with my name stenciled on it, and I'm wearing blues. Air Force Blues and everybody's like, oh, look at the new Eagle Babies. And you're like, what, what? Like, what the fuck's an Eagle Baby? So that first night, we're all sitting in the day room. And I remember this guy comes in. He's actually David Carden now, who is uh, the ops superintendent over at one of the STSs. And he starts kind of, he's like, the first dude that like when you show up at a frat that kind of gives you the lay of the land. He wasn't, he wasn't my father flight. He was a Hawk flight guy, but he was there to like tell us all about, it was like, all right, you're not allowed in, in the pool day room. Like they, they had a pool table. He's like, you're not allowed in there until you get, you know, until you're, you've started class. If a, if a father flight guy does this, you're supposed to do that. Get out of his way. Um, Oh, your your baby flight smoke session will be this Saturday, and you're like, "What's a baby flight smoke session?" It's like, well, the fa your father flight's about to graduate, and it's tradition that they are going to wake you up on Saturday morning, take you to the PT field, and smoke the shit out of you. But they're going to teach you how to start the class properly. And we're like, okay, so that whole week we're cleaning. You know, you're doing stupid details all day. I'm. I'm polishing fucking kick plates on, on the doors in the barracks and stuff like that. And Saturday rolls around. My father flight comes, comes, comes banging on the doors. Ooh, before that, fri Friday night, 
at about 10, 30, 11 PM, you know, we're all fresh out of basic. This is the first time, you know, we've kind of been left alone in the evenings and I'm in the largest room in the schoolhouse that has four people in it though. So every other room is just two guys. It's a bunk bed and a bathroom that you share with another room with a bunk bed and a bathroom. Well, us, it's four guys to the room with one bathroom and a little fridge. So we're all, and it, and it happened to be the guys that I went to basic training with that came in. So, so we've all been friends. So we're having like the time of our lives, like sitting in our gray Air Force PT shirts, you know, just talking about, I was drawing this giant like death on call tattoo and a permanent marker on my buddy's back. And at about 1130, um, we hear the father flight come barreling into, into the debt because of curfew and things like that. And they're hammered. Uh, and, and so, uh, they kick my, they kick our door open, you know, they're kicking it. And this guy named Sergeant Carl, who I believe he's still up in Washington state in the guard. And he was a prior, he was a prior Marine and he comes in, comes in my room and he starts, you know, knife handing all four of us. And he's like, he's like telling us, you know, he's giving us that, that scary thousand yard, you know, stare pep talk of, you don't know if he's threatening you or if, you know, what, what's going to happen here. So he, he points at me, he's like, come here. So I roll over to him and he, and he puts me in a headlock and, and, and he's like, now you see this, you want your, you want your elbow to line up with the sternum and then you do this and then he squeezes and I pass out and you know, I wake up a couple minutes later and he's gone and my friends are just there like wide eyed, like don't make a noise. He might come back. Just <laughs> shit faced hammered. I got choked out the first night. Then we get woken up that morning. It was like two and nah, now it was more like four o'clock in the morning. They, they were all pretty drunk. So they waited a little while Yeah, I'm lying. and they, they, they tell us, you know, you have, you have five minutes to get to the PT field, which the PT field is about three quarters of a mile from the debt to, to the field. And then when we get there, they have all their vehicles there with the headlights on and then they've got ice chests and stuff like that. And they smoke us up and, you know, running us through the order of exercises, which was kind of our thing back then. And they're teaching us how to enter and exit to like, so you don't get fucked up by the instructors. And it was just fun. Like that, that thing, that type of stuff was awesome. It was like, to me, everything that happened was like this tradition, this rite of passage. It's like, ooh, I got tomorrow, you know, I, I got to get to bed. Tomorrow's our baby flight smoking, smoking <laughs> event, you know, and it was just so exciting. And getting to go through the course then, uh, some of the things that really come to mind, you know, uh, Ray Lozano, the first Tac P ever killed in combat was killed while I was in block one of the course. And I remember the instructors walking in and like, Hey, uh, we had attack P killed in action today. And it was just like, it was like this, this like surreal moment for everybody, not just the students, but the instructors, because they're like, Holy shit, this war is, these wars are real. Like we just lost attack P in combat. Like this shit is going down and everybody's just like, Holy fuck. Um, 
I went through the field in July. It was hotter than shit. And uh, we were on our student movement, which is a, like they would give you like some ungodly student movement back then to like, like defeat you. So like we got like a, a point that was 34 kilometers away or some bullshit like that. But like really they're just fucking with you. Like you don't actually walk that 34 kilometers. They, they cut it off about midway through. Um, but they, I remember, you know, this is the final night of, of the FTX is when you're doing the student movement. So you've been awake for five days, you know, up to this point, you haven't really slept. It rained a couple times while I was out there. So it was kind of shitty, but, uh, they called us at about three o'clock. The second, the last day is we're on the student movement. We're in the middle of, of like, like shin deep swamp and these trees that are like, like quarter to dime thick that are just coming up out of the swamp. And they call over the radio and they're like, Hey, you guys need to halt. They're about to test a Moab on Eglin. And, and this is in 2003. And I don't know, I don't know if this was the first test or this was like, Hey, we're kicking the dust off of the Moabs cause we might need to use them. But so they tell us to halt. And, uh, you know, that's the footage they use for that last one as well. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody falls asleep. Like stand, like everybody was just wedged. You had your rock. You're just wedged into to these to these trees, and you're in, you know, almost knee deep water. And then everybody just went to sleep. And like five or six hours go by, and finally, like I hear our guy that was designated the RTO, like everybody wake the fuck up. Like we we overslept, and the instructors couldn't find us. Like they were like we we passed out, and then. They didn't know where we were or something. I don't, I don't really know if that was made up or not, but we walked another, you know, 10 hours or so. And then they finally picked us up. And, uh, I remember they had a box of apples cause we were fucking starving, man. Like you're just, you're burning so many calories in that FTX. <laughs> like I remember fucking going through like three apples. They, they, they picked us up at like midnight on Friday and that was the the last and like i couldn't believe it like i just made it through the field that's where everybody falls out in in the schoolhouse i never thought i was going to graduate the schoolhouse cuz i was this tiny little fucking weak kid but i turned out turned out i could run pretty decent back then so that and my pt scores were nice and that uh that earned me an airborne slot so i left the schoolhouse in august of 2003 went to fort benning in uh charlie company and went to airborne school and that was fun it was again tradition like you're i was so enthralled in all these these traditions like i was i was so excited that i get to do it like jump boots and airborne school like this is all like super, super military tradition stuff. So I was super into that. And I left, uh, I left airborne school and go to Fairchild for SEER. And now I get to show up to an Air Force school with a beret and jump wings. And it's like, oh man, I am the coolest kid on the block now. <laughs> and, and you got to see what SEER does. Yes. I, I mean, it was really funny because I remember... That first FTX where you're learning the 
field craft survival portion, not necessarily um, resistance training or the prison camps and stuff like that. But I remember we, we, ru- we, we walked in with our gear, you know, maybe a kilometer and he's like, all right, here it is. And we're like, I'm like, that's it. That's, this is all we're walking. We set up camp. And then at like three o'clock, our instructor is like, okay, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Be ready to go by eight. And I like raised my hand and he's like, what Taylor? I'm like, you're leaving. Like what, what are we supposed to do? He goes, I don't care. Fucking make a fire, sit around, take a nap. I'll see you tomorrow. And I'm like, I wasn't used to it. Cause if you're, you're in the, an FTX, like you're pulling security, you're going to get fucked with. They're going to attack your base. They're going to do this. Like, a, I'm like, wait a minute. What? Like we're three o'clock and we're done. Like just fucking, I've never slept so much than I did when I was on Seer. <laughs> so then when I, when I finished Seer, all of my friends from high school, I'm in Washington, I'm back in Washington. So they are all going to Washington State University, which is only about 40 miles from Fairchild. So I took leave in route and hitched a ride over to Fairchild, or I'm sorry, not Fairchild, but Pullman and hung out at Washington State University for, uh, for like a week. And I did the, you know, typical young TACP, you know, military thing. I'm wearing dog tags and telling everybody how cool I am because I just went through Rambo survival school and all this bullshit. Like I, you think about how you spoke about being a TACP when you first became one and you're like, oh, stop it. <laughs> so obviously you go through the pipeline and I know you love that tradition and, and, and obviously being smoked and all that's not a problem for you, but what's it like when all of that finally finishes and you get into a unit, how does that start rock and roll and how does that manifest itself into your first deployment? It was the, it was the same, same, same kind of ordeal. So I, I was, you know, the guys at the schoolhouse really hyped up that, Fort Bragg, the 14th ASOS was the best place that you could go as a TACP. Like if you want to go be a, a, a crazy person and eventually go on the, the soft side of things, like the 14th ASOS is your gateway. And it was like, holy shit, I get to go to the fucking coolest unit. And then when I showed up though, those guys were coming back from a double trip essentially because they had all deployed for the kickoff of Afghanistan and when they were done like a lot of them had done Afghanistan and then back to back Iraq like there was something and it wasn't I there was a couple guys that did this and I don't remember the exact figures but 14th ASOS historians could probably do it but there were there were people that did 600 days of of a rotation because they did an Afghanistan to Iraq and 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 did the Iraq uh, invasion. And then nobody was leaving anytime soon after that. So you kind of just got stuck over there. Um, and, and, and kept working because we were, we were, we were doing, still doing a lot of heavy fighting. So there was a, there was a few guys that, yeah, had been, the 14th had been continuously deployed for like 600 and some odd days. And then finally it was like, when I showed up two weeks later, this whole mess of guys got back 
and, and the 14th was given like a break for seven or eight months. So I remember going to the Christmas party in 2003 and that's when Lee Blackwell had just returned back from Iraq and that Lee Blackwell was Ray Lozano's JTAC when Ray Lozano was killed. So it was like, he shakes my hand. He's like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be your new boss. And I'm just like, Oh, <laughs> like, like, uh, uh, this is, this is, I'm, I've got big shoes to fill. Um, but the guys at the 14th at that time were beyond squared away and experts in their craft. And the dudes, most of the dudes that, that brought me up are all still active in the SD community. So I won't throw out a bunch of names, but they're legends. Like, and they, they were young kids then, but they were fucking squared away young kids that they knew our equipment inside and out. They knew the radios inside and out. They knew communications inside and out. And most of all, they knew everything there was to know about Cass. And they expected you to be on their level the second you showed up. So when you weren't, you got your fucking ass kicked. <laughs> and I was, uh, I actually worked directly for a guy by the name of Brett Davidson. Um, sadly, he is no longer with us. He was, he passed away last year on a TDY. Uh, you might've heard about it. Uh, it was just an accident. Um, but anyway, Brett was, uh, was my, fir my first line supervisor. He's a senior airman. He kicked the ever living shit out of me, but it was that, it was that, uh, that kind of like, like I appreciated it. Like, even though I hated it and like he, he really, you know, I could do no right with him no matter if every day it was like, I would formulate my plan to finally impress Brett. And, and when I'd finally get up, you know, to, to, uh, to, to show him, you know, what it was that I worked so hard on to, to get his praise. It was not good enough. And, back in the dirt. And I remember a specific incident because there's two, two very influential people involved in this thing. I was like, finally like fed up, like with Brett just being mean, like, and, and there was another guy in on the team that I think they were all in on it. Like he, he like pulled me aside at the beginning of the week. He's like, you know, like you don't have to just cave to him all the time. He's just a senior. He's just an E4. He's just a senior airman. Like you can tell him to fuck off sometimes. And I'm like, I'm like, I can, I can. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell him to fuck off. Like, fuck that. And so one morning he comes in, we had finished PT. We got in our uniforms. I'm sitting at, I'm sitting at the, uh, at one of the desks doing map, map work. And, you know, back, back then, and I say this like I'm old as shit, which I guess I am now, but we had one computer in the office and nobody used it because nobody had any, the only time we got on the computer was to get on MySpace or hot or not. And yeah, back then there were no firewalls on government computers. Like you could fucking get to anything you wanted and you didn't have to have an ID card to get into anything. It was just, there's the computer. Uh, so like I'm sitting there doing map work and Brett walks in and he goes, Hey, give me that chair because there wasn't enough chairs for everybody in the office. And I'm, you know, now I look over at, 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 
at that dude who's now, his name's Jeff Tardiff. He's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, now, now's your time. You know, he just, he's trying to take your chair. That's not a, that's not an order of a, of a higher ranking guy. Like you can, you can, and I was like, no. And like Brett like backed up and his eyes like went wide and he was like, what the fuck did you just say to me? I was like, no, I'm not getting out of this chair. And he goes, take your blouse off. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so I take my blouse off and he, he's like turning beat red. He goes, get the fuck outside. And like we go out in the bay and I just get the dog shit smoked out of me to the point where like I'm now like, like he finally like quits because I just fucking like folded and I'm crying. I'm an 18 year old kid. I'm like, he's so mean. You're fucking beating me up. I remember DeLorean Sheridan, a guy that he's a silver star recipient, combat controller. He's a Cy John award winner. Like he's a, another, another guy that really has done some amazing things in these career fields. He comes walking out as I'm just fucking a total mess. And he, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he's like, come on, man pull your shit together. He's like, you're, you're a fucking 14th ASOS tech piece. Start acting like it because everything that that dude in there is doing is to get you ready for what you're about to fucking go face. And he's like, and no matter what he does here, it, it will not even compare to what you're about to get down there. And I remember fucking like, like finally, like kind of understanding it when, when DeLorean put it that way and I was like, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. And, uh, so there was another, there was another like two to three months of just hard training every single day, getting the shit smoked out of you. No one was nice to you. And then I remember it very vividly. I come in, I come in, uh, the, the alpha flight room one, one morning after PT, like got, gotten a nice uniform again. And I walk in and everybody is standing kind of on the outsides of the, of the walls. And they're all looking right at me. And Brett is kind of right in the center with his, with his eyes, just like, like I, I fucking slashed three of our Humvee tires. And he goes, he, he looks at me, he goes, you gotta be fucking kidding me, Jerry. And cause I, they call this, I was cherry, Chuck Taylor, cherry, Taylor, cherry, Chuck, cherry. I don't, I don't remember all my cherry names, but, um, he's like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, cherry. And I'm like, fuck, what did it, what did I forget? What did I do? Did I not gas up a vehicle? Did I not do generator 1800s? I'm like, what? He goes, nope, nope. Ain't even playing with you this morning. Get your blouse off. And I'm like, fuck. Like we just got done with PT. We ran the flight line. I'm, I got, I'm fucking smoked as shit. And here we go. Kicks my ass out into the bay with, with my friend, with another cherry and my buddy, Tyler Woodson. And he starts smoking the dark shit out of us. And then another guy comes out and almost like they tap, like he taps bread out. And this guy named Rudy Bengdig comes out, starts smoking the dog shit out of us. And then another dude rolls out. Kevin Carpenter starts comedically smoking the dog shit out of us because Kevin's super nice. He's really funny and, and just always has something funny to say. And then like, they, they just, they just keep going. There's another guy coming in, just now do this, now do this, now do this, carry these jerry cans, run up the hill, you know, push ups, flutter kicks, everything. And they move us back into 
this pit. They, they, they filled this pit full of water. And, uh, and now he has us doing flutter kicks in the pit on your face, on your backs, on your face. And, uh, like to the point where like, I'm fucking at muscle failure, man, this is miserable. Like, God damn it. Like I'm, I've been at the 14th for six, seven months now. And I'm like, this is, this is fucking life now is every goddamn day is, is just getting the shit kicked out of you. And I remember he's like, push ups go. And, um, I'm doing push ups and his boot, he puts his boot on my shoulder blades and pushes me under the water. And I'm like, holy shit, we're stepping this up. Like I'm like trying to get up and then I, I, he lets me up and I, 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 I get up and I breathe. He goes, don't fucking fight me. And he pushes me back down in the water and he lets me back up and he goes, I'll tell you when to get up. And he pushes me back down in the water and then I feel his boot leave and I'm waiting and then I hear him yell. He's like, recover. And I stand up and I do the tack P thing and come to attention and I yell gung ho and I've got mud and water and shit all in my, my eyes and face. And when I wipe my face away, the entire team is standing around the, the pit. And the first guy steps up and he's like, welcome to Alpha Flight. And every dude shakes my hand. And it was like, now that was it. The next morning I come in, nobody's, nobody's yelling at me. Nobody's telling me like, I, I like kind of like look around like, okay. And then, and, and like I go to Brett and I'm like, what do you want me to do? He goes, that's up to you, man. You know what you need to train on. Go work on, go work on what you think you need to work on. And I'm like, holy shit, like, fucking A. <laughs> Just like that. So, what do you, what do you think if, uh, if you were looking back or looking, people looking at the community, what's the biggest myth about TACBs or JTACs that, you know, from an, in, from an insider looking out, it's one thing, but once you've now had the perspective, the time away from it, what myth would you want to dispel? A myth. I, you know what? I've never really thought about that. Um, I, you know, more so rather than like myths for me, I've had a lot of time now that I'm, you know, I feel, I feel like this. I, I have some very strong opinions on, on, on the TACP career field having, you know, I spent 14 years and eight months as a TACP, you know, before transitioning out and doing the entertainment thing that I do now. And it's, to me, like, I really think the one thing that's missing from the career field in this job is maturity. And I, I personally believe, and people might disagree with me, I don't really care, but it, I think there should be an age limit on entry. I think you should, you, you should have to be 25 because when I look back at the mistakes that I made when I was deployed, and when I was by myself, because again, like you find yourself by yourself as an E4, you know, I wasn't even 21 yet as a JTAC and an E4. So when I look back on the things that I, the, the missions that, that I had messed up or things that I fought the army on or, 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 you know, just was not really a team player for the mission, 
because I, I, I was making it an ego thing, making it a, your army, I'm air force thing rather than a, Hey, we're all here to fucking, to, to, to achieve this in our battle space. Like me as a 35 year old now would not even touch some of those subjects of that me as a 21 year old JTAC was causing fucking issues with, with the battalion staff. And I, I really, I'm really disappointed about that. And I've got, I've got a very specific instance that still, that still really bothers me because I, I, I really fucked something up bad and I fucked it up because of ego and I fucked it up because I wanted, I wanted the bragging rights and I wanted to, I wanted to go home to the 14th to be able to say certain things. And, uh, but, but that's kind of it is I really think maturity is crucial in this, in, in this job because you have to have a strategic mindset to really be an effective JTAC and, and attack P when you're with both the conventional and special operations uh, sides of things. And, and now granted our career field, the one Zulu three, I believe I'm not sure one, I'll just go one Charlie four. Cause that's what I'm used to. Um, we've solved the maturity piece when it comes to TAC peeing for the special operations community, because we don't let, brand new guys go over there. You have to become a Jates tech. You have to assess, you have to have deployments under your belt. That's good. But I really think, I really think there should be an entry age limit higher than 18 to become a tech P because even on the conventional side, like you have a lot of power, you have, you, you bring an incredible force multiplier to the battalion and you need to be of a good, good mindset to make that effective and not be bogging yourself down with a bunch of stupid bullshit. And, and, you know, man, just thinking back to how much, how much stupid bullshit that I caused for my E sixes and my O threes, like, and these guys were having to deal with this because I was a young fucking idiot kid just running his mouth thinking he's fucking cool rather than being there to do the mission. Like, like that's, that's my big thing. I think, I think the maturity and the age thing is something that, that we as a community should look at. Yeah. I think it's interesting because our model is so different to your model in as much as you have to be an NCO first, you have to have uh, served first, you have to have a background in fires. I mean, I've been to, I was on my fourth tour at that point. I've been to Iraq and I've been in Afghanistan. I've been in Iraq twice in Afghanistan um, before I ever got on a JTAC course. Um, yeah. And that, yes, that solves this whole problem. You yeah. know what I mean? And that was in a completely different role. Like I, you know, and, and then, well, not completely different role, but you know, infantry base, blah, 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 blah. And then like, in I came and then off I started rocking and rolling in that community. Now I'm not saying always right or anything like that, but I'm just saying we have two different models that kind of forces us to be older when we start, just because you have to go through those hoops. So by the nature of it, you are older. Yeah. And the same thing with when I was an instructor for the schoolhouse, I wish I was 10 years older. Had I been, had I not been at the schoolhouse when I just turned 26, I would have had a different mindset in approaching instruction and in approaching shaping future TACPs. And I, I feel like there are a number of, of TACPs out there right now that I owe an apology to because I was an angry little fucking cunt for a while that, you know, had a, had a brutal deployment and I came out of that deployment and went 
went to be an instructor and I wanted to take my hate and discontent and unfair treatment out on, on these kids for the sole reason of, well, that's how, that's what I had done to me. Not, does this make a better tack P? No, you're going to suffer because I had to suffer. And that's not, that's not a fucking answer, man. So it's like guys that were, that were part of Hawk seven, nine and Hawk eight, zero Hawk eight, one, two, and three, like I'm, you know, I could have been a better instructor and I had my fucking, my, my focus then was, was fucked up and I didn't really find my way as a teacher in the schoolhouse till Hawk eight, four and on when I finally kind of, it finally clicked that, Hey, these, these are your replacements. These are guys you're going to lead. These are guys you're going to work with later down the road. It's time you start treating it as such and stop treating it like you, you need to prove something. Yeah. I think you make a, a great point there about the fact that, um, you know, you need to be able to invest in people because I think the time that we're getting with people is shorter and shorter that, you know, the powers that be want to give you less resource. They want to give you less time, but they also want you to go, Hey, by the way, we're going to add all these extra layers of technology. Um, and the guys need to know it. So if you're spending all that time sort of expelling unnecessary energy, you're not investing in the education of those personnel. Now, I'm not saying there isn't something to be said for, you know, expecting a higher standard of people. But what I'm saying is you need to, in, you need to invest in much as in them as you are in yourself. Um, that's just the way, I mean, I'm just sort of like, that's the way I heard what you were saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I was there to teach and that I wasn't there to select. No. And that right there is the best, the best way to put it. And I didn't realize that until, until probably 2010, 2011. But once I did, and I've heard some feedback from those later classes that really make me happy, you know, especially from some of the officers that said they really enjoyed my method of instruction and things like that. So it was like, um, I wish, I wish I would, I wish I would have went to be an instructor after I was 30 years old and not as a, as a, as a young brand new, you know, fresh off the line, JTAC, like things like that. Like, um, what was your favorite platform? Uh, you know, Apache's really, I love the H64, man. And, and, and that kind of goes into what I was talking about. You know, I, um, I had, uh, I was in Baghdad. I was 800 meters Northwest of the border of Sauter city. And I was living at this place called cop Callahan and we had been there for months and, and we got fucked with every couple hours. It was, it was exciting. Like shit went down at, at cop Callahan and it was, it was wild. And I got a lot of good experience there. I got a lot of multi-stack experience, like, because being in the heart of Baghdad, you always had multi-platforms. I always had UAVs. I had predators, you know, the, uh, the jock was at camp victory. So they were always wanting to be involved in everything that was going on. So it was like, you always had a bunch of shit in the sky and that got me really good at, at ACAs and snap ACAs. I was doing, I was doing a ton of snap ACAs where I was building these products to, to, to deconflict airspace with, with, with pro words and, you know, initiating those pro words. And then I knew where everything was at in the airspace. Um, so I just got really good at talk ons controlling and, and all that by, by that. But one night, uh, I had, I had eyes on with Apaches of six guys in placing an IED where a striker 
platoon that was on patrol had taken an IED uh, two, two nights prior. And they were right in the same place. And we watch, I watched everything. I watched them unload the munitions, run the command wire and everything. And like ground commander, you know, the, the battalion commander goes, take them out. I'm like, okay, I just got clearance. Now the Apache is like, hey, did you just get clearance? Because we'll smoke them right now. I'm like, yeah, we got clearance, but I got A-10s overhead. And the, the Apache pilot's like, yeah, but I can just pull the trigger right now because my my Tad's pod is right on them. Like, we can we can just do this right now. And I'm like, no, 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 the A-10. And I call a nine line to the A-10s who are at 8,000 feet. And they're like, okay, we can execute a 30 mil gun run, but I need to get to 6,000 feet. So now I have to start going through the AOC and start clearing airspace and everything like that. Well, 40 minutes goes by and these dudes walk away. And it was all because I wanted an A-10 30 mil on them. And I could have had this over with in five minutes had I not been a fucking 21-year-old idiot. Mm that realize that use the assets that are re- that that are at your fingertips stop fucking making this about you going home and logging a fucking a10 live control like it was a really fucking stupid move on my part and you know i that i feel that pilot's frustration like that fucking if you if, if that ah64 pilot out there is listening to this podcast i'm sorry man he was pissed he was like man could have taken those guys out and now they're they're still around to go put another one in because I was too busy fucking trying to be a cool 14th guy that got an A-10 control. Like, yeah, fuck, dude, I'm still mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't show. It doesn't show. <laughs> when you're running your business, then, are you running, are you like a, a straight-up cribs guy? Are you just a notebook guy? Are you like scribble on the corner of a map kind of dude? Uh, you know what? Like, I'm... I don't do a lot of like, like I use my notepad a lot on my phone. It's just like it again, like I'm a technology guy. So it's like, what's, what's the point of scribble? Like, like I have, I still have all my green books. Like I've got, I've got nine lines from Baghdad and Mosul and everything like, like packed in and out of, of that. But, but it's like now that, now that I have this, like I might as well just take the time if I need to write things down, it's legible, it's, it's linkable, it's, it's, you know, I'm able to kind of organize information a little bit better. But also too, I, I, I really have like a photographic memory. So notes are kind of few and far between for me sometimes. Like when someone's telling me what to do in the steps that they're telling me to do it in, I generally am like, okay, got it. <laughs> what was that? What was the biggest change that you saw in your time? Obviously, um, the stuff you're talking about in the beginning of your career, that, that stuff just doesn't happen anymore. Well, I mean, I saw, you know, when I came in, I saw, I, I got to see kind of the transition over to the 117 Fox. So when I first came in, you know, we were on the tail edge of 113s and 119s and 104s. And we had the old Mer, uh, Jerk 206 communications palette. So I was trained on all these old, the ERC 113 and, and, and shit like that. Um, so I saw, I saw the flip over to, to the radios. I saw the, the changeover of, I mean, I remember, you know, we had, we had the plugger GPS. I'm sure you're familiar. The PSN 11. And it was like, I still remember, this was like 2004, 2005. Like I remember 
one of our guys, this guy Ramashko coming in, he's like, have you heard like DOD is testing out this new GPS called the dagger. It's one quarter the size of the plugger and it takes double A's. And everybody's like, there's no way we're ever going to get that. We're tack P's. We're never going to get the dagger. We're never going to, we're never going to see something that cool. And then sure as shit, like a couple years later, like we go from this GPS that's this big, that takes this battery, the size of this microphone. And now we have, now we have this, this thing that you could rubber band to your, to your chest. Like, like it was like, those were, those were huge. A lot of people don't understand like, like the technology, you know, the, the original Mark seven, you know, the Mark seven laser rangefinder was the size of a fucking watermelon. Again, took batteries that you can't find anywhere on the planet. And this is the shit that you're lugging around in your bag. And now you have a plurf that's this big, like dink, dink, dink. Like, so seeing the technology roll forward, seeing JTAC simulators, be created. Those didn't exist when I came in. There's, there's no such thing as a JTAC sim. We got our first sim in 2005. I built it and put it together, uh, and, and started, you know, learning it. Like, like when we got it, it sat in the box for like four and a half months because nobody in the unit knew how to use a computer. So they're like, somebody should put that sim together. <laughs> <laughs> so we, so yeah, seeing that and then seeing now what they have, they have the you know, the 280 degree dome sims and things like that. It's like, wow, that's super cool. So yeah, seeing the technology catch up with us, you know, digital cast, I'm not really, not really up on. So I can't, I, I mean, I, I saw it start. I saw the, the contractors fight over that contract. You know, you had one system over here, you had the Navy using this over here, you had this over here. You know, I remember going to a, a link 16 course up in, in Norfolk, Virginia, like, because we, we thought that we were all going to go over to the link, link 16 platform. It was just, it was a funny time. Yeah. Well, um, if you could go back and maybe speak to yourself or maybe even a young guy, you know, coming in now, starting off and coming into this career field, it'd be fun. Like just to go back and say something to yourself. What three things would you say? Like, Hey man, they're going to teach you these things. So don't even worry about that. But have these three things dialed in before you go for this. Yeah, I would, I, I, I would, all three things would be, would, would go into one. Know why you're there supporting the army and know that you're there to support the army. Yes, they're not your boss, but you are a combat force multiplier for them. Do not roll in here and make this harder for them. Do not roll in here and act like a fucking asshole either because you're representing the Air Force, you're representing TACPs. Like, stop your horse shit of, I can roll my sleeves up because I can, or I can, you know, do X, Y, and Z and blah, 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 blah. You're not the boss of me. Mm. Like, get over that attitude. Be there to, to, to be part of the team. Yeah. I mean, I think that's sage advice for anyone. No, it doesn't matter what field they're in. Um, you know, be humble enough to just like deliver on the task. That you're yeah. And it's, and, and it's like, if you, if you show up, yes, there, the army is going to fucking come up with some dumb shit. They always do, but handle it accordingly and handle it the right way and handle it. Like if you're always a help to those guys and you're always knowledgeable and you're approachable and you're credible and, 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 and everything, the, you know, the wick, the wick fucking whatever, I think that's their, 
their motto or whatever, credible, approachable, humble, or whatever. If you are those things, then the army's going to give you those passes when you need them. But if you show up with your nose in the air, like, fuck you guys, I don't have to listen to you. I'm just the JTAG, man, you're, you're fucking up. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your best tip? And uh, I know that might be a slightly British term, but what's the funniest story that sticks out in your mind? You know, if someone was to come along to me today, what would they turn around and they'd say, hey, you want to get Jerry to tell you this story? Uh, I have so many, man. There's so many, <laughs> so, so many I can't talk about. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many. I, 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 I remember like going to a, a, a single wide strip club in Camp Lejeune and and I was driving, you know, I was driving a duty, I was driving the duty van while my, my superiors were hammered and, and like JMPIing the door out of the van, like while we're going down the freeway and we pulled into a Walmart parking lot and they're, they're, they're contemplating and planning to flip over the security guys, Geo Metro. Like it's just, there's, there's so many super wild TDY stories back in the day, like when you could kind of get that wild. Um, okay. I, I, I all right. I, I've got a pinpointed one. <laughs> it, it was, it was, uh, it was Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We were with this big group of us and, uh, and there was like, there was like 16 to 18 of us from the 14th ASOS. And then the 148th ASOS was up there and they were drilling that weekend. So there was like 25 of them. And we all went to this bar together. So now in plain clothes, you've got like 40 tack peas in one bar. And me and, and, and uh, the leader of the trip, we were the ranking guys. I was number two. He was number, number one. And he's up at the Pentagon now. And he's a, he was an MMA fighter. So, and he's gigantic. We showed up at the bar first before anybody. And we had uh, met this like kind of tiny young guy that he was in a band. And he was hanging out with us. And he was a super cool dude. So the night rolls on. It's getting a little later. And things are heating up. And this guy, his name's Adam. Um, if you go on Spotify and search Villain, V-Y-L-A-N, his music is amazing, by the way. Like, this, this kid still puts out the fucking greatest music ever. But uh, we, used, we used one of his songs for the trailer of Range 15. If you've seen the movie trailer, Adam was the one that, that, that did the music for it. Um, but Adam is walking through the bar and this, this guy, you know, and Adam's a small dude, this guy shoulder checks him and, and he spills his beer and the guy just eyeballs him up and down. And my real good buddy, Rob Torado, who's this badass ripped Puerto Rican at the time turns around and he goes, Hey, I think you owe that dude a beer because everybody, everybody in the room knows that Adam's kind of with us. And this, this dude goes, oh, do I? And he goes, and his two buddies walk over and, and, and Rob was playing pool. So Rob like is like sitting on the pool stick. He turns around and he's looking and, and, and the three of them walk up and he, he goes, I'll say that again. I think you owe him a beer. So why don't you go get on that? 
And the dude goes to step forward. And when the dude goes to step forward, one of the guys from the 148th ASOS unplugs the, the, ju- the jukebox, like the, the sound thing. So now it's silent. And now all of us like gets our attention and we see Rob squaring up with, with these guys, with Adam standing next to him. And then you just hear watches and <laughs> ring. And, and you real, and, and it, it was the funniest thing because these two dudes like start to realize that every jacked motherfucker in this bar is, is, is in on this now. <laughs> like, and it, this goes on for like two minutes, man. Like you're just hearing this, like dudes taking off, taking off button ups, rolling up sleeves. And like the guy's like, all right, think I'm going to go buy that guy a beer. He goes, yeah, after you buy that beer, maybe, uh, maybe hit another bar. He goes, yeah, we'll hit another bar. <laughs> Check. Um, <laughs> we'd, uh, we've been taking a poll. There was a question asked just before episode one that was, um, do JTAX only hydrate on black coffee and whiskey? And I know you're not going to dispel the myth, but uh, what's in the what's at the in the cup either end of the day for you? Uh, it depends. Like right now, um, I I'm really trying hard to up my film game. Right now, I'm hyper focused on on really kicking the quality up. So I'm I'm completely off any and all substances. And I'm on like day ten or eleven right now. Um, because I started doing some research and, you know, it said it takes, it takes 14 days just to begin to repair your brain just after a night of drinking. So, uh, I'm going sober right now because I'm really trying to focus on, on kicking our content like a couple steps further because I, I, now that I'm, I'm in this position where I can produce every day, I've got real cinema cameras, real cinema lenses, I've got lights, I've got sound equipment, like I need to be taking advantage of this now. This is what I worked for for my whole life. So now it's time to fucking focus and jump in like both feet and say, all right, go make some of the best things that you've ever made. Yeah, come on to that. And obviously it's Black Rifle Coffee, yeah? Yes, of course, in the morning. <laughs> I've got, yeah, I, I, I've been drinking a lot of our canned drink lately uh, okay. just because it's easy. Yeah, I really like it. You know, Matt and Evan spent over a year picking and, and developing and deciding on that formula, and they picked the best. So I'm, I really like that, and I, I'm sucking those things down. Yeah, you get a lot of love from, uh, from the community on that for sure. Everyone oh, that's awesome. That's really good to hear seems to come up every time it's like this this black rifle and, and, and off, off you go so yeah a lot of love for, for that dude i give uh, everybody the opportunity at the end of this if you're going to be uh, a desert island jtac and and because i'm a sweetheart and i like to take care of you guys i'll give you a, the radio of your choice and the ansel of your choice no problem there but what other three items do you take with you so i already get a radio and what else do i get a set of ansels what is that? Headset. And oh, okay. Yeah. I want to make it work. Not, right? Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Radio, no batteries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, I want a, I want an old school Islid one thousand, the big one. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, proper, the proper Jedi one. Yes. Um, and then I'll take a poncho. Okay. 
And uh, what what region are we in? We're in like tropical. Yeah, yeah, tropical. Uh, I'll take like a fishing kit or something. Okay, okay. Yeah, I thought you were gonna go guitar straight off the bat. Guitar or fish or or fishing pole. Yeah, just make your own guitar. But if I've if I've got an if I've got a radio, I've got an Islid, and then I've got a poncho, I'm pretty much good. Now I need food, so I'm yeah. taking the fishing pole. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a smart move. Dude, I, I think, you know, there's some amazing points you brought up about like ego's your enemy and you need to be able to swallow that down. And, and the fact that if you maintain a growth mindset, like you've got to be more mature. You've always got to be more mature than uh, the position. We're very, very fortunate to be put into the positions that we are. And, you know, I know that you're massive on the community and that like we all need to take care of each other and, and that we're stronger together. I really appreciate you coming on. If you had you one, bet, man, this is awesome. <laughs> you had, uh, if you had one closing thought, and I don't mean just JTAX, but, you know, aircrew, JTAX, you know, all across the community, veteran and serving, what would that message be? <sighs> to the young guys and even to my peers and to, to the people coming up, like, pick your mentors and, 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 and pin to them. Like, uh, I was lucky. I had some of the greatest dudes bring me up. So, like... I owe it all to them. And that, that should be a focus like, like all the way is whether you're in tech school or, or your, you know, your goal is to go to WIC, like pick your, pick your mentors, pick them wisely and then pin to them constantly. I mean, I still to this day talk to those guys every other week, like the same dudes that brought me up, I'm still calling because they're just, you know, they're the ones, they're the reason. <laughs> and, you know, I, I also too, like, like the final thing is I have to thank the community because the TACP community was my first audience. It was them and their praise and their, and their push, you know, them saying, Hey, I like that. Do more of that is what got me here now. Uh, because at the end of the day, they were, they were the first, they were the first, people that ever watched anything I made. Yeah. Um, like, we love you, man. We love what you do. We love what you pump out. And uh, we're all here to support you. And, and I know you're here to support us. So, I mean, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, that man. Thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community and we really appreciate them. Thank you everybody for listening.